sold me on the idea of real estate and basically sold me on the vision that I could um, trade time in the office for time in the woods. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Garrett White. Garrett, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So Garrett's a real estate syndicator, consultant, and entrepreneur. Apart from White Real Estate uh, Investment Firm, which focuses primarily on multifamily and commercial acquisitions in the Carolinas, Garrett owns and operates White Oak Property Group, a national land company spe specializing in the acquisition of premier hunting land throughout the U.S. I got I to gotta talk to you about that. I got to get me a piece of hunting land. In October, <laughs> Garrett was named one of, one of Charlotte's top 30 under 30, which is awesome for his work in the real estate business. Um, with that said, Garrett, man, why don't you uh, give our listeners a bit more about your background? Yeah, man. Um, so first off, I guess we'll start with um, I'll, uh, the talking about the hunting and everything. Um, what got me into real estate to begin with was I'd always told um, my family I wanted to find a way to hunt more. And so it kind of led me down a path of trying to find careers and things that um, would allow me more flexibility, more time to hunt, enjoy um, time in the woods. Um, after my sophomore year in college, I met a couple guys at the gym and they um, sold me on the idea of real estate and basically sold me on the vision that I could um, trade time in the office for time in the woods. And, um, that pretty well sold me. I bought my first duplex when I was 20 years old and um, saw what it could do. And um, it flipped the switch and it hadn't been flipped off since. Nice. So has it allowed you to have more time in the woods yet or is it less time so far? Yeah, it's a trade-off right now. <laughs> you know, um, I think, I think there's kind of um, kind of like the farmer mentality, there's seasons to plant and there's you know, seasons where you enjoy the harvest. Um, my twenties have pretty much been dedicated to uh, growing the business and getting it where it needs to be so that, um, later on I can have that, um, time back. So, yeah, yeah. I'm there. I'm there with you, man. Sometimes uh, it's, it, and it kind of almost, you'll probably, as you continue, you'll get to that point where it's like one, one year you can hunt a bunch and then the next year you just got too much going on with the business. And all of a sudden, you're just like, man, the season's over. What's going on? <laughs> I had it like two, it's, two times. It's a sad, it's a sad reality, ain't it? <laughs> it? It is what it is. Well, oh yeah. Uh, well, well, cool. So, so take me through. So, you bought that duplex. Um, you know, now kind of, what are you doing today? What's your what's your primary focus, and what are you working on? Or, or where'd you go? I guess after that duplex, you don't have to take me into every fine detail. Yeah. But. Yeah, so from the duplex, um, I acquired a few more smaller single family, more duplexes. And quickly I realized, you know, it, it just didn't seem like it was scalable from a loan standpoint, from a, um, uh, economies of scale. Um, the same reason most people get into multifamily or transition it was the same thing for me. The tax benefits, cost segregation, things like that were all appealing. 
Um, so I started exploring multifamily um, around 2016, 2017. And um, about that time was when, um, you know, deals started to become a little bit more scarce. Um, we did some smaller things, um, an eight plex and um, some other commercial deals and um, but never the lead sponsor on any of the larger stuff. But um, essentially, that's what kind of uh, transitioned me into the land was the realization that, you know, quickly I realized, um, you know, if I wasn't going to live off acquisition fees, I needed some type of cash business, some type of cow to milk during the day. Um, there's a if anybody's familiar with like the duck dynasty guys, Phil Robertson, he talked about it in one of his books. He shared how, when he was first growing his business, um, he had to fish the river while he was building the duck call. And, um, I kind of applied that, to uh, what I was doing. Um, I needed a river to fish and a cash business to run day to day until I could grow my net worth with the multifamily. So, yep. um, that kind of began the transition of looking for other opportunities, um, uh, you know, uh, as far as like cash businesses, I was thinking about, um, I'd already done some flips. So I knew that that wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Um, wholesaling houses, there was a lot of competition there. Um, uh, essentially, I was looking for a business that could give me some flexibility, some scalability, a business that was fairly simple to systematize, um, a business model that I could de-risk, especially at the top of the market cycle where I feel like we're at right now, um, in a place where there wasn't a whole lot of competition. And so um, uh, that kind of got me thinking, well, first off, I'll say with the multifamily, um, we were kind of priced out of deals fairly quickly. And we got to a point where it was like, there's only a few levers you can pull. You're either going to adjust your underwriting criteria, which was something we weren't willing to do. Um, so that was off the table. Um, the next thing we did was we started um, changing our deal flow, like going more direct to seller. So that's still something we've implemented today. Um, something else we've done is um, adjust our capital structure and our, um, the cost of capital. And I think that's something we're seeing now with syndicators is you've, you, we've went more towards like a tier one, tier two, where um, to kind of get that blended cost of equity down. Um, so that was something we did with a slightly different model. And uh, just, um, just explain that to our listeners real quick. What, what do you mean by tier one, tier two? Yeah. So the, you know, in the past, the traditional model has been kind of like a 80 20 or 70 30 split with an eight pref or a seven pref something similar um now what you're seeing is at least like 20 or 30 percent of the equity raise being like a 10 percent interest only where passive investors get a 10 percent interest only throughout the duration of the deal but no upside um yeah, kind of setting up a mes debt structure almost right exactly yeah. and so we worked through that and started like we've looked at that model. We've looked at a couple other models, one being like a six plus six model where um, it's like a six pref on the front end. And then on the back end is 6% annualized. So um, yeah. it ends up being like a 12% annualized return, but it kind of caps your um, equity 
or capture, yeah, cost of equity. Um, And so that's been something we've looked into. And um, uh, the only other lever to pull again was um, looking at maybe other asset classes or asset asset types. And so again, that kind of gets me back to where I was going with, you know, I'd flipped houses. um, I had looked into wholesaling houses, which has tons of competition, things like that. But I like that model from a standpoint of being able to de-risk, you know, not having a whole lot of risk in the deal. And um, so the land, the land kind of intrigued me. What what initially was um, intriguing about it was the fact that there's not a whole lot of people talking about it. You know, it's not quite as sexy as people that are doing houses. Um, So that was the first thing. Something else that was um, interesting with land is you know, with houses, um, anybody can go on Zillow and have a pretty good estimate on what their house is worth or a ballpark figure with land. There's kind of that knowledge gap that, you know, not, not, there's not the competition. People don't quite know what they have from a sentimental value there. The land is, doesn't have the sentimental value as a home. Um, it's typically not income producing. You're paying taxes on it every year. It's going to be the first thing that you turn loose before a home or, um, things like that. And so all of those things combined um, kind of helped us fall into this niche where um, it checked all of our boxes. And so take, take me was, through like, what, what do you, so you're buying the land? Is that right? Um, so we've got a couple different things. We, okay. we can either wholesale or assign or do like a double closing. Yeah. Um, another how, thing how are we're, you finding, how are you finding it? Is it people that like list it on, you know, or is it sending letters or is it, what, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. So we do a couple of different things. Um, primarily it's, um, direct mailers, but, um, you can also do like an RVM, like ringless voicemail, cold calling, things like that. But again, compared to house flipping or wholesaling with houses, um, because there's such a lack of competition, the response rate and the conversion rate on mail is crazy exponentially better than what you're going to see in houses. Are are you like, are you going after people that have like, you know, tax lien notices or specifically like that? Or is there like, is there a criteria that you're going after? How do you decide like, we even want to look at is it a certain size. Like, how do you know that that's, that's what would confuse me the most, in my opinion, like a house is a house, right? It's just, yeah. Especially in like a suburban or urban neighborhood. It's like, it's just a house on a lot. Like that's it. <laughs> like we, right. just, we just know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what we've, what we've come to the conclusion is, um, targeting motivated sellers or, or, um, people that live out of state, out of town, um, uh, that tends to do fairly well just because of the fact that they don't live there. They don't have an interest there. They're paying property taxes on it. Lots of times they own it free and clear. Um, that's kind of our avatar seller that we're marketing towards. Got it. And it, is it like um, mostly rural, very rural areas, or is it suburban, urban type areas? Um, typically we'll target, um, uh, we usually want to be within like 45 to 60 minutes 
um, from like a major city, major MSA, and it could be rural or it could be um, um, city. What I found um, was that, kind of, again, kind of talking about pivoting, I've figured out there are people that are in land and there are people that are doing the same thing as me as far as, you know, kind of the uh, criteria of targeting 45 to 60 miles outside of a major city. So um, we niched down again more towards the hunting land just because, again, not many people are doing it and not many people understand it. You know, you've got whitetail properties, Mossy Oak, but there's not a whole lot of people that cater to that um, yeah. buyer. And um, it's just a niche that I've, I've always told my team that we try to create like a home field advantage. And, yeah. um, you know, I may not be the best land investor or what have you, but the hunting is something that a lot of other land people aren't doing. So I can kind of combine the two and, you know, have, I guess what you call like the blue ocean effect. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, first of all, it's something you're passionate about. It's something you're good at. So you could likely just look from the, uh, for, for right from the internet and go, yeah, that I can see the, the travel patterns where these deer would be moving and this land, this piece of property makes a lot of sense as, as far as a hunting piece of property versus you look at something else, you're like, okay, well, that doesn't really work. So I, I could see how, how that could work. You, you don't even have to touch foot on it a lot of times and, and you know, that could be a good piece of hunting property. So, Hey, real quick. I just want to let you know about the multifamily challenge that we got going on. It's a five day multifamily challenge on how to get an offering uh, quickly, right? So we're going to teach you in five days, five, one hour sessions. We're going to go through the steps and the process to get there. So go to mfichallenge.com, mfichallenge.com. You can sign up. It's free. If you want the VIP, there's a bunch of things that we'll give away too. You got to you do have to pay for that, but Hey, it's going to be well worth it. Again, you can get in for free. We're going to teach you how to get that offer across the table, get the LOI in uh, all the steps. So Alice Hammond and I, Alice was episode 316. Check, check out his episode and we're going to be doing this next week. So sign up now at MFI challenge dot com mfichallenge.com and get in there. We're, uh, we're doing it next week and it's going to be awesome. So hope to see you there. You mentioned something earlier, and I think this is really important to not completely gloss over. Uh, and you mentioned, you were kind of talking about this prior to us hitting record. It, you mentioned having other income while you're building your company, essentially. Take me through why you think that's important and, and maybe some of what you've seen others do that, that, uh, isn't as, I don't know, comfortable for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been on the other side, um, doing some consulting and I have some clients that, um, you know, everybody's gun ho to get into it and everybody has this mentality that they should just go all in. And, you know, on the surface level, that's, it makes sense. But the important thing is you really need to know your numbers, know your KPIs, know your metrics. What would it actually take to where, you wouldn't to basically replace your income from your full-time job. So like um, I can just kind of run you through some numbers that I ran, like if just say hypothetically, and there's going to be a lot of assumptions here, but say you have $30 million worth of assets and you know, the equity raises 10 million, you know, roughly one third. 
if you had a cash on cash of 10% on that whole equity, which is kind of a unicorn right now, obviously in the multifamily, especially in year one, yeah. year two, you know, if, if you're set up with the normal 80, 28 pref, you know, on 10 million, 10%, you're going to have a million dollars worth of cash flow to distribute out at a project level. The first 8%, the eight pref, that's going to be 800,000 out of that a million. That's going to go to your passive investor, to your LPs, which leaves you with the 2%, um, 200,000. That's going to be split 80, 20. So 80, 20 on that 200,000, the GP level is going to get 40,000, you know, total for yep. the cash flow. And typically on, you know, on that size portfolio, there's going to be two to four GPs that you're going to be splitting that with. Yep. So, and, and that's me talking about a three thirty million um, portfolio, which at 75,000 a door, you're looking at 400 units. So that's why I try to walk my student, walk my students, walk my clients through that exercise so that they know that, you know, a lot of people have the assumption if I, I just want to get the hundred doors cause that'll replace my income. And if you're, yeah, when if you're you doing the city, yeah, exactly. If you own it all, but if you don't own it all, you need to know what really are you getting at the yeah. end of the day? Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's, that gets me to the point of, if you're not living off of that, you know, on a $30 million, um, portfolio or what have you, the only other thing that you can be doing is living off like an acquisition fee, which is really, you know, from your fiduciary duty to your investors, it's a dangerous place to be. And it puts you and the investors in a bad place. Um, in real estate, the saying is never be forced to sell, but on the same token, it can also be said, never be forced to buy, you know, and the way to mitigate that is to think through the whole strategy. You know, we're investors, but, first and foremost, we're entrepreneurs, we're entrepreneurs first, we're investors second. And so you've got to think through the whole thing. Like, yes, multifamily is great. Yes, I'm bullish. Yes, I think it's a great way to build your net worth. But a lot of your profits is going to be back in, which could be three to five years out. So in the interim, what are you going to do those three to five years? What's your cow that you're going to milk those first three to five years to get you through to the back end profits on these deals that you're doing today. So, yeah, look, I mean, you, you spelled it out pretty clearly there, you know, $30 million project, you know, maybe 300 to 400 units, a $10 million raise. If you're one of four GPs, which is probably pretty typical, let's say that it's an even split, you're getting about $10,000 a yeah. year in cash flow, $10,000 a year in cash flow. You need 10 deals, right? That size, 10 deals that size. Which would be a $300 million portfolio. Right, which is a yeah. $300 million portfolio, which is 3,000 to 4,000 units. And now you're making six figures and just making six figures a year. So that's something to really think about as you're going, oh, this is, this is a great business this is gonna make me rich. It can, right? But it's it's real estate, in my opinion, is a, is a every real estate investor I know. It's a net worth building business. It's not a cash flow business 
until you've been in the business for a fairly decent amount of time, right? It doesn't start like that. It's slow money up front. And then as you start to continue to build your business, start to have some sales, start to really snowball it, then it becomes a cash flow. but it takes a while. It, it's, it's not overnight. And remember that like you, I really like how you laid that out. Like, don't be forced to buy. Don't be forced to buy. If you're buying in, in the reason you're buying is because you have to have an acquisition fee. You're putting your investors in a really weak and vulnerable position because, well, why do you have to have that acquisition fee? And are you sure, are you 100% absolute that you're buying the right building at the right time and not just getting that acquisition fee, right? So I, I really like how you laid that out. And um, man, just have that second stream of income until you can truly establish yourself. I think that's great. Let's, uh, you know, you mentioned direct, you're going direct to seller on apartments. Are you, and you said you're still doing some of that. Are you seeing success with that? Have you, have you seen success with that yet? Yes and no. So we had a couple of deals. There was one two or three years ago that we had went direct with and um, it was a very promising deal. It was just a little bit bigger than what we were comfortable with at the time. And um, at that point we weren't familiar with having a bunch of cap or we wasn't familiar with the concept of bringing on multiple capital raisers and, you know, doing that type of deal. Um, had it been today where that scenario happens, it would have been very, it would have been successful and, you know, it would have um, changed a lot of things there, but I do think the direct to seller approach um, is something that could work. You know, the thing right now that I'm seeing, there's a lot of coaching platforms, a lot of educational things, and it's a lot of the same information. So I think it's important to look at best prices and what works. And yes, I think 70% or more of the deals are coming from brokers, but if everybody has that advice and everybody's going after the same brokers and all that, you've got to think about like, how are you different than everyone else? Like that's always something I try to think through is like, how can I out hustle the next person or what can I do different? Like, how can I pivot and do something, you know? So yeah. again, it comes down to um, going direct to sellers or, coming up with a different compensation structure with the GP LPs so that my cost of equity is cheaper, which allows me to stretch the pencil a little bit further on deals or makes me a little bit more competitive. You know, just trying to think through things like that. Um, you don't have to change your whole business model. You don't have to change the asset type, things like that. I, I had to for the cash purpose for finding a cash business. But a lot of times you can make one simple change, like how you structure your deals and engineer it in a different way, or, you know, your approach to um, uh, deal flow and get a result that's, you know, comparable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I like that, you know, trying to separate yourself from the herd, right. Try, trying to figure out different ways to out hustle um, everybody else. And, you know, it may not, Every single thing that you try may not be successful, but you've got to try different, different strategies in order to separate yourself from everybody else. So, and it doesn't mean abandon the one strategy, right? It doesn't, doesn't mean to abandon talking with brokers. 
and building those relationships, but finding different ways um, can provide, and you just that one deal, right. can be yeah. completely worth all the time that you spent on it. So, well, and it's, and it's no one like you try those things and you, you look at where you're at and if it's not getting you the result that you want is um, it's recognizing that and not, not being so stuck in your ways that yeah. you just continue to just pound on it without pivoting at all, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, and you're showing that too with, with multifamily, you know, we talked before you, you still love multifamily, it's still a strategy and it's still a asset class that you really like, but at the same time as you know, the deals aren't, aren't there. And it's not that you're just going to continue to spin your wheels. You want to push forward. You want to move the company forward. And so you're looking at other ways to be able to do that and not abandoning necessarily multifamily, right? But you're looking at ways to potentially pivot. Right. Well, and, you know, at different points of the market cycle, I think you need different tools in your tool pouch or what have you, you know. Yeah. For early in the market cycle, you especially you heard people talking about the burr strategy, refine, roll, things like that. That works early on. You know, later on in the market cycle, that might not be the right play. Early on in the market cycle, value add makes sense. And even, you know, looking into C class workforce. Later on in the market cycle, maybe stabilized B class works better because the value add um, cap rates have compressed. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you're looking at the risk return profile, you can get the take on a lot less risk on a stabilized B asset than you can a value add C that everybody seems to love. You yeah. know, it's, it's just recognizing where you're at in the market cycle, what's working, what's not working. And just um, thinking through the whole thing, not ever getting complacent in your business and um, just always trying to take a step back and think through the whole thing and see the big picture. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree with that. We get caught up in our goals and we want to push these goals forward. Um, and we do that to the detriment of <laughs> what we probably should be doing sometimes. Um, what's a mistake that you've made and, and how have you learned from that mistake? Hmm. You've never made a mistake, have you? I, I don't I think it. so, man. I I, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, no, it's probably one of those things I've made so many. I'm trying to think which one I want to tell you. Um, uh, probably, I'm trying to think specifically to multifamily. I probably haven't done as good a job as I should have on the online marketing. I've always been more of a personal relationships guy. And, you yeah. know, we would rather meet you at a, um, You're a country boy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a yeah. country boy. The, the ad, Facebook ads and getting in front of a camera and talking, you know, I see the benefit. I see, i see what it can do for all these guys, but, um, for whatever reason, I think it's just been kind of like a self-limitation that I've had to get in front of the camera. I don't know if it's uh, something you, you feel like you're, um, showing all, I don't know what yeah. it is, but yeah. it's always felt super uncomfortable, but from a business <laughs> standpoint, it definitely makes sense to do. 
I could I could totally relate with that, man. I, I I was so uncomfortable when I first started getting in front of the camera and doing the podcast and stuff like that. I just didn't want to do it because I don't know, it feels like you're showing off or like you're bragging about yourself or whatever. Uh, so you got to get past that and, and realize like what you're actually doing with it. I think if you have a real purpose, it starts to become easier, right? <laughs> but, yeah. Ab- yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that's the paradigm shift is realizing that if you've got the right heart and you're going about it with the purpose of adding value to your passive investors or educating them, you know, instead of it being like a look at me thing is you focusing on yeah. what the value and content you can give to others. I think that makes it a little bit more bearable. Um, yeah, that's why I cringe when I see the people out there and they got the sh- showing off with their, you know, fake jet or maybe even real jet, but they're showing off with their jet and they're showing off with their, f- the, the, the fake Lamborghini and <laughs> oh man, like yeah. So. And that's what I've always seen. Like every time I've thought about it, I'm like, man, that's what people's going to think about me, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. talking to my, you know, up in the hunting stand. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean, that'd be authentic, yeah. I guess. It would be, it would be. Well, cool. Um, so, so what are you, what are the company goals moving forward? Where are you guys, where are you guys headed in the next couple of years here? Yeah. So, um, the primary focus on the land is, um, to continue to niche down with the hunting land, um, focusing there. Um, the goal there would be, um, twofold, either, you do like a wholesale or an assignment to like your blue collar that blue collar worker people that are looking for deals things like that also offer like a um owner financing package so that it becomes affordable to the masses the other piece being we buy it hold it for three to five years implement like a land management program where we put in food plot stands make it turnkey for a busy high net worth professional that has the money Mm. and just doesn't have the time and, you know, um, basically have an end product where they have the trail cam pictures and all of that to show what the property can produce. Um, it would also be cool. The long-term picture would be to use that, um, you have like a hunting show on like the outdoor channel or one of those platforms and, you know, push the real estate as a medium and, you know, be able to, um, you excuse me use the outdoor show as a medium to advertise your properties that you have listed or what have you um that's a pretty cool project that we're working on and i'm really excited about obviously i'm passionate about the hunting but uh, i tell people i enjoy hunting for deals and dollars as much as i do deer and turkey and you know (laughs) the multi-family is exciting as well um again i think there's opportunities ahead um we're continuing to look. I don't, we don't believe in time in the market. We believe in spending time in the market and just underwriting. Yeah. Oh, and if, I like that, you know, we're, we're not gonna, um, our big thing is we're going to aggressively pursue every conservative deal we come across. So we're not going to change our underwriting criteria. We're not going to do anything there, but if it meets it, then we'll aggressively pursue it. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. That's smart, right? You're, you can't time the market. You just can't. And if you, if you start to get desperate, that's when you get bad deals. You just got to keep pushing forward and, and, you know, eventually the market will shift if, and if you can't find any deals until the market shifts, that's fine. Just wait. And, uh, and you're, you've got your other stuff going too. Um, how do you like to give back? 
Yeah. So, um, active in the church, um, uh, love, love giving my time there as far as in business and all, um, really enjoy the coaching piece and doing meetups and giving value there. Um, those are the main ways. Nice. Nice. Uh, all right. So I got two last questions now we've got, what's your favorite book? Hmm. Man, that's a tough one. There's a couple. So I like the compound effect by, um, Darren Hardy. Um, I'm a big habits guy. I'm not a huge goals guy, or at least I think you, you should align your habits with your goals. Um, uh, the other one, obviously along those same lines is atomic habits. Um, that's another good one. Um, rich dad, poor dad, obviously from a financial standpoint, that's one that got about everybody into the real estate game. Um, that'd probably be my top three. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Three pillars of wealth creation. Ooh, um, a cash business to, for the day to day. Um, three pillars of wealth creation. Um, something like the multifamily, that's a good net worth builder. Um, and then as far as scalability, you know, having the ability to use other people's capital so that you're not, um, you know, that so that you're not ever limited on how many deals you can do. I think that would probably be like a third. I love them. I love them. Cash business, net worth builder and OPM. Good stuff. That's it. Garrett, I really appreciate you joining us on the show, spending time with us. How can our listeners reach out to you? Yeah. Um, so the best way would be to, um, you can email me at Garrett, um, G-A-R-R-E-T-T at whiteinvestors.com. Um, you can also visit us at whiteinvestors.com. Um, I've got an Instagram and a Facebook and a LinkedIn as well. Garrett White. Awesome. Well, Garrett, again, really appreciate you joining us. Tons of value you're able to add. And uh, you have a fantastic rest of the day, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. 
Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.